Welcome into the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCivil.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Joe, of the show, Blackwell. Joey, how are you doing, man? I hope everything is going well, and I hope, you know, we're recovering from a great weekend of SEC football. Yeah, it was a, a lot of traveling, a lot of car riding, but it was also a lot of fun. Uh, glad to join you on the trip and looking forward to covering Texas A&M this weekend as well. Yeah, man, let's, you know, let's go ahead and hop into to what we witnessed Saturday, right? Like, you know, Alabama is obviously coming off of a 38-19 to victory over Missouri. And now, you know, they've got a lot of things to work on, right? We've, we've already heard Coach Saban this week talk about, and players too, talk about how the intensity needs to be there for a full 60 minutes. It wasn't there really in the second half against Missouri, even though Alabama looked like a well-old machine in that first half, right? They looked dominant. They looked really strong. Najee was great. Jalen Waddle, the passing of Mac Jones was fantastic. Um, but, you know, there were some issues, obviously, to fix um, in, the, you know, in the second half as well. The intensity, it was, it was different, right? It was just a different uh, setting. And in 2020, man, in a pandemic season, I mean, it, it like, you know, the atmosphere wasn't there. And players have got to bring their own juice. And so we talked to Chris Harris earlier in the week just about the intensity and what it takes. And he's like, dude, as long as you're a competitor and, you know, a football player, it shouldn't matter about that. What was your kind of take maybe on the intensity levels uh, from the team overall and just what needs to be better going into the end game? Well, I mean, the first thing you look at is look at the scoreboard. I mean, at the, the halftime, the score was 28-3, to 3, which is, you know, looking like a typical Alabama scoreboard at halftime. And, of course, you look at the second-half scoreboard, it's only 38-19. to 19. I mean, that's your first giveaway as far as the defense is concerned. Obviously, Nick Saban likes to kind of take his foot off the gas a little bit in the second half when it comes to the offense. Um, but when it's concerning the defense, allowing, allowing uh, let's see, 16 points in the second half is, is, is you know, disappointing. Um, especially against a team like Missouri that's not known for its offense. It's more known for its defensive play this season, at least. Um, but no, it, you know, we talked to Kirsten Harris today. We talked about Jordan Battle. You know, you also spoke to Najee Harris. And all of them are talking about how the the, the second half um, energy needs to be there. It needs to come back and it needs to continue. You know, consistency is a big thing with Nick Saban and this Alabama team. And um, they weren't consistent as far as um, progressing from the first half of the second half. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do in the second half uh, regarding, you know, against Texas A&M. You know, you have a lot um, with Kellen Mond and, and, and a decent defense. The defense for Texas A&M against Vanderbilt, you know, people have been attacking Texas A&M for, you know, only fairly, you know, slipping by Vanderbilt. But the defense on Texas A&M was not a problem at all. They actually did very well. Um, so, you know, only allowing 10 points. I know the scoreboard says 12, but one of those was a safety. Um, but no, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the energy levels transition from first half to second half this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, and, and two, right? Like, I mean, Kellen, I mean, this, this was big first game jitters. This was big first game rush. You got to knock off in a pandemic season. Like, this AM team is going to be much better than the team we saw against Vanderbilt, right? Like, when they come into Tuscaloosa and they come into Bryant Denny. Um, you know, who was a guy that really, just from Alabama's perspective, Joey, who was a guy that really stood out to you? And who do you think, you know, maybe outside of the Dylan Moses, the Jalen's, the Najis, who was a guy that, man, you can kind of, you can kind of think, man, he's going to be a breakout player for Alabama this year. And we kind of saw it in Columbia. Well, you know, I would honestly say Daniel Wright. Um, you know, Daniel Wright, yeah, I think he led the team in, 
and tackles with 11 and solo tackles, you know, all, all 11 of his tackles were solo. You know, I think that Daniel Wright was somebody that nobody was talking about heading into this game. And I think that he really had a breakout performance against Missouri on Saturday. Um, you know, one, only one of those tackles was for loss, but you, but still 11 tackles in a game. That's pretty impressive when you have, you know, Josh Job is somebody a lot of people were talking about, you know, had one sack, but only seven tackles. You know, Jordan Battle with six, LeBron Ray with four. You had Dylan Moses with only four. Two of those were for a loss. But, you know, it's I, I really think that Daniel Wright on the defense had a really strong outing. I'm looking forward to, see, you know, seeing what he can do against Texas A&M this weekend, you know, and possibly improving on what he did against Texas A&M. I mean, sorry, against Missouri. Yeah, I thought Daniel Wright, you know, he's a guy who's been in the program for a little bit. And it was, it was like almost where it's like it's a time, right? Like, he got his first career start, got his career high 11 tackles. Like, it was about time. And, two, I, I really do think this Alabama secondary is going to be tested, right? Like, they're going to be tested against Texas A&M, and they're the, they're the position group on that defense that I think has the most question marks. No, I agree. And, you know, another player that, you know, kind of stood out to me was Will Anderson, you know, a true freshman getting a start at linebacker. You know, that's pretty much unheard of at Alabama. You know, didn't have necessarily the, the biggest performance on the field, but as far as being a true freshman at linebacker, you know, next to Dylan Moses, that's a pretty big deal when it comes to Alabama's defense. Um, of course, you know, Will Anderson only had, you know, he had three tackles, all three of them solo, nothing else other than that. But um, I, I, I really believe in Will Anderson and what he's been able to accomplish in such a short, you know, time span. And I think that he's probably the next Dylan Moses that we have coming up in the program. Yeah, and he and he was he was terrific on Saturday. Mine, not man. I mean, he he you know he only had three tackles. Didn't really show up in the box score totally every time. But but when you watch the game, he was seconds away from hey man making a game changing play, getting a getting a tackle on the backfield. And I mean, literally, we 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 ask guys when they go up there, and it's like, hey, what do you think of Will Anderson? He's going to be a great player. He is on track to be a fantastic. Like you, they can't lather this much praise on this kid, right? Like I mean, he is is living up to the hype because it's been it's been. Build, you know, he's been billed as a is it going to be a, a amazing player during his time at the Capstone. So he could, you know, add to Nick Saban's great development of linebackers, um, you know, at the college level. But Joey, kind of like you know, coming out of Alabama, looking at the landscape of the SEC, it was a wild first weekend, right? I mean, Florida put up fifty one <laughs> points, Mississippi State, Mississippi State went on the road, had seven rushing yards, negative two in the turnover department, and still beat the defending champs by double digits. Um, just overall great performance and great day, great debut from Michael Leach. Let me let me go ahead and ask you to show you who is now after one week who's Alabama's biggest competitor in the SEC West. Well, I think you know you just said it right there. I think no question is Mississippi State. Basing off based you know, and a lot of people will probably laugh at that, but based off of what we saw purely in Week One, oh, it's in Mississippi State, you know. And and on top of that, you know, KJ Costello will be a lot of problems. You'll give a lot of problems to this Alabama defense. You know, he was 36. Yeah, he had 60 pass attempts, but he had 36 completions. Yeah, he threw two interceptions, which against Alabama, he'd probably throw a couple of more, considering the LSU lost a ton of defensive starters last year. But 623 yards and five touchdowns. Like, I mean, come on, man. You know, that's a, that's a very impressive week for KJ Costello and this uh, in this uh, Mississippi State offense. Um, I think that Mississippi State, you know, you know, far and above, you know, presents the biggest challenge. Their defense also performed okay. You know, they allowed 24 points against, um, against you know, LSU. But LSU has, a, you know, a, a solid amount of offensive starters returning. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see 
as far as what if Mississippi State can continue what they're doing right now. Of course, Mike Leach and that air raid offense is going to you know keep pounding every week. Um, and you know with, with Mississippi State, uh, I'm sorry, not with Mississippi State, with Missouri and Alabama defense, um, you saw a lot going on as far as Alabama was very productive on stopping the the running game. But as far as the passing game against Missouri, that's what they really struggled with. So if you have a guy like KJ Costello, you know, in the offensive backfield um, for Mississippi State, if Alabama can't improve on their on their defense as far as the passing game goes, um, we'll just have to wait and see what KJ Costello, what kind of damage he can do against Alabama. Yeah, you know, that game's interesting. It's going to be at the end of October, Halloween weekend, on Halloween, actually. In Mississippi State, there's a good chance they're 4-0 heading into Nick, that game in Tuscaloosa and Brian Denny. There's a really good chance, you know, that they're undefeated, right? And I think, too, like, you, okay, you look at it, right? LSU, probably not. I mean, now, we obviously know. We know Miles Brennan is Joe Burrow. So, LSU is, is obviously knocked down a couple of notches. And you've got Auburn, A&M, and Mississippi State. Those are the three teams right now, right, in the SEC West who are going to compete with Alabama. Alabama's going to play one of them this weekend. Auburn, obviously, near the end of the season. And then the Mississippi State one. So, if a and I mean, depending on what happens on Saturday against A&M, I, I do lean Mississippi State in, in the division. But is, is Costello going to throw 600 yards a week, week in, week out? I don't think so. Um, don't think so. It, it, that's obviously very – that's very tough to do. And teams teams have film now, right? Like they 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 have they have they have lessons that they can teach their players to shut down this air raid attack. And I think, and I think that's going to be huge moving forward. And guess what? Mississippi State's got Arkansas this weekend. They'll take business. They'll take care of business against Arkansas. Um, but I can go ahead and tell you this right now: Nick Saban, you know, is probably already thinking about how to stop the air raid. You know, he's already thinking about that. I know they're focusing on A and M, and then they've got Ole Miss, Georgia, Tennessee before then, but. Down the road, Nick Saban's thinking already. Hey, man, we've got to we've got to focus on we've got to worry about that down the line. That's probably something he's already thinking about. No, I agree. You know, you know, as much as Nick Saban likes to you know proclaim to the media that oh, you know, I'm only foster focused on Texas a and That's true to an extent, but you know, at the back of his mind, he's thinking about Mike Leach, KJ Costello, and and uh, Mississippi State. Um, that has to be at the back of his mind, and. Um, you know, I'm looking at <laughs> – I just happened to see uh, Costello's rushing stats, which are actually negative 38 against uh, LSU um, overall. But anyways, um, no, he, he's, he's really – it's going to be a lot of fun um, what to see what Alabama – and it's going to be interesting to see what Alabama can pull up before Halloween Day and Nick Saban's birthday. You know, Nick Saban's got to get a win on his birthday, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> So I so I think um so so we both kind of think right like they would kind of go Mississippi State Auburn and then Texas A and M right as, as, as the top competitors for against Alabama in the West, um, mm-hmm. but then too right you look at overall in the conference I mean week one right Florida like I mentioned earlier Kyle Trask his six touchdowns Mac Jones played extremely well we saw a really good quarterback play for the most part so right now Joey give me give me your top five quarterbacks in the SEC after week one. Well, you know top five. Um, obviously Costello is number one, um, if we're just going off of stats alone, um, but we'll have to wait and see if he can, um, continue that and, you know, keep that momentum going. If he can keep that momentum going, clear number one in Costello, but obviously I don't think the guy's going to give up over 600 yards every week. Um, number two, I'd have to go Kyle Trask. You know, Trask had a very impressive performance. Started off a little sluggish against Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, but, you know, he ended up being 30 for 42, 
you know, he had over 400 yards, you know, 400 yards and six touchdowns. So very impressive performance from him. You know, Mac Jones would have to go number three um, for him. Um, you know, once again, 18 for 24 with two touchdowns and 249 yards passing for Mac Jones. You know, you know, a solid effort from him. Not the best he's ever done. Also, definitely not the worst. Um, but and then number four, you know, it's kind of a toss up. Four and five kind of swap back and forth between me between you know Auburn's Bo Nix and um, um, uh, quarterback from Ole Miss. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right here. <laughs> What's his name? Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral. Uh, yeah, Matt Corral. Um, you know, decent showings from both of them. Um, I wouldn't quite put him up in the you know Corral in the top five, but um, it you know you you have a lot of decent showings from all these players. And, um, you know, Kellen Mond also had an okay performance for Texas A&M. Like I said, that 4-5 that spot is kind of uh, up in the air for me. But definitely the top three players would be KJ Costello, you know, Mac Jones, and Kyle Trask. Um, it, it's, it's pretty much those three and everybody else at this point. Yeah, I, I'm, right now I think, I think in, in terms of performances, right, like I think you would go Trask, Costello, Mac Jones, which I think, you know, Costello still had a pick six. He still had a fumble. He was still turning the football over. Mac Jones, I think, honestly, could you could call him maybe the most efficient, right? Like in terms of hey, yards per yards in the air, um, you know, the accuracy. Because um, even Nick Saban talked about how he only missed one bad read over twenty four throws. Think about that, Joey. Right? Like in one bad game, Saban is saying he only threw one bad pass. I think Alabama fans they've got a lot to be pleased with Mac Jones. And so I would have, you know, Mac Jones maybe in that conversation for the best quarterback coming out of week one. And I, and I know Costello put up 600, but when you throw the football every single play, you hope you would get yards, right? Like when you run so many plays, I hope you would, I hope you would do that. I hope you move the ball to the field. So, no, I, I, yeah, no, no, sorry. I'm sorry. You go ahead. I thought you were done. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you're good. Um, so I, I, I would say Jones is right there. Trask, Costello, and two, I mean, Corral, 400 yards. Uh, with Ole Miss, that was fantastic as well. Lane Kiffin's got their offense going. Got to got to fix the defense too. Um, the defense is a big issue over there in Oxford. But but you know what? There's time to fix that. And the, the defense really isn't why you hire Lane Kiffin. You hire Lane Kiffin for the offense. You hire him to to be like, hey man, go go drop 40 points and, and you know let's hope the defense hold them to 30 so we can win, right? Like that's kind of what you're doing with that hire. And Lane Kiffin, you know, he's mature. He's grown a lot. And down the road, I think he's going to build Ole Miss into a really good program. And it starts with, you know, getting guys like Matt Corral, to, you know, to, to play really well and exercising his strengths, um, who was already there. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, right here, you know, in, in a league where the quarterbacks were coming in there, where we didn't really know who was going to rise to the top. Now we know it, it, it's Trask and Matt Jones, really, as the top two guys, in my opinion. Well, you know, speaking of rising to the top, you know, all this whole offseason, I've been, you know, you know, preaching the praise upon John Reese Plumley, and you know, Plumley obviously <laughs> only had one attempt and one completion in the first game. You know, and Corral was in there, um, but you know, I, I, I'm interested. You know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, you know what, you know, obviously he only had one pass. He had he was in there for four, for uh, for five plays. You know, he had four rushing attempts and then. Uh, one passing attempt, almost five plays. But, you know, I, I'd love to see what Plumlee can do in this Ole Miss offense. I was kind of disappointed, obviously, you know, uh, from a personal standpoint because of all the praise I've heaped on him in the offseason. 
Um, but also from a from a professional standpoint, as far as you know, I wanted to see what he could do in this Lane Kiffin offense. And I guess you know, right now, this wasn't his time. Yeah, uh, you know, they kind of used him as a receiver, as a running back too, and he made a couple throws as well. So he's got so much. He's got such a big skill set. You can throw him all over the place. But now, Joey, week one is done. Football is back. Looking at week two, I think the biggest matchup in the conference outside of you know Alabama A and M is that night game over there in Athens. It's Georgia Auburn. What do you kind of think happens there? You know, do you think Georgia figures it out because now JT Daniels is medically cleared to play? You know, Georgia struggled against Arkansas in that first half. They were losing half the time. Or do you think Auburn pulls off the upset in Athens? Well, you know, with Auburn, you know, they're they're always it seems like historically they've always been a second half team. They're always, you know, they're always seem to have a a, a small lead, you know, beginning in the halftime and then just really pull away. You know, it would, as far as why Auburn would win the matchup, you know, you have to look at why why do you believe the Georgia offense um, would win this game for them? You know, Dewan Mathis struggled against Arkansas. You know, he you know, and and that's to be you know nice about it. You know, Stetson Bennett stepped in and was solid. You know, he threw for 211 yards and two touchdowns. You know, JT Daniels has now been uh, medically cleared. So we'll see, you know, how that can shake things up. But then you also have to look at why Georgia would win. You know, but the the defense, you know, for Georgia has been really stout through week one. You know, it was stout through, obviously, the preseason and seeing what they could do. The secondary, particularly, was very, you know, was terrific against Felipe Franks. Um, But it's going to be – Sorry, I didn't play. I didn't play Felipe Franks on the thing. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's the quarter. Yeah, he's the starter for Arkansas. Oh, sorry, got confused with Florida for a second there. <laughs> you know, but you know, he played. He was turf against Felipe Franks. You know, he came up. You know, the secondary had three interceptions against him, including a pick six. But you know, with, with you know what you know as far as what's going to happen, you know, it might not. You know, Georgia's might not be you know the, the prettiest girl of the ball, but you know, it, they'll be effective. You know, start with two turnovers. You know, Auburn defense is probably going to show up and keep it close. Um, overall, you know, I, I'd honestly have to say Georgia has a slight edge in here. You know, I might go like a 28-24 Georgia. Um, I know the line right now is Georgia minus seven, but um, I'd have to go Georgia in a very close one right now. Yeah, I, it, it's really tough, right? Because, I mean, I think Auburn, they, they impressed me more than I thought they would against Kentucky. This weekend, um, Kentucky, I mean, they had some – I know they had a touchdown that, that should have been called. And, too, I mean, Mark Stoops, um, there was some just in that play calling as well in that second half. And Auburn's offensive line played better. Seth Williams is one of the best receivers in the SEC. That was huge. And I think for that game, um, you know, it, it, it was just kind of, you know, Bo Nix developing too, right? Like Bo Nix is maturing before our eyes. and He made a lot of good plays and a lot of good throws in my opinion. Um, and I think, you know, he's doing exactly what, you know, he should be doing in a Chad Morris run offense. And, uh, and yeah, there were, there were some growing pains still. But, but you know, he, he's – him and Trevor Lawrence have the longest streaks right now in terms of, you know, overthrowing each of them over 215 passes with, without an interception. So um, they've still got that streak going on. So Bo Nix is playing well. Uh, I, I think Georgia probably pulls it out close. I agree with you there. But then circling back to Alabama, Texas A&M, Joey um, – you know, this defense for Alabama, we just talked about it. They look ferocious, man. They look like they really do have a chip on their shoulder. Um, and you mentioned, you know, stopping Kellen Mond, the aerial attack, and, you know, maybe stopping him on the ground too, his, his, his dual threat ability. Um, but, you know, what's kind of your, your other keys to maybe um, for, for this game and how do you see it playing out? 
you know, first off, let's, let's go through why if, if Texas A&M is, pull, is going to pull off a victory, let's say how they're going to do it. You know, the Aggies have a, have a far stronger offense compared to, you know, what they showed out, you know, against Vanderbilt. It just seemed off, you know, but, you know, most teams, you know, haven't been quite right so far this year with all the, all the, all the preseason stuff that's been going on with COVID-19. A&M needs, needs to control the clock better. It couldn't do that against Commodores. The running game for them, although, I mean, however, for them wasn't bad. Um, they were, you know, they had some good mid-range throws with Kellen Mond, and I, but the offensive line has to figure out how to, how to press forward and how to score. Um, but, you know, when coming against Alabama with that strong defensive line, that's going to be a problem for Texas A&M with that offensive line. But, you know, talking about how – Let's move shift over to why Alabama was going to win this game. You know, they have to start fast and be balanced, which they had no problem in the first game. And that's what Alabama did against Missouri. Um, you know, on the on the plus side, you know, Alabama's defense was a little, you know, it had it sprung some leaks, you know, by the time the fourth quarter came around. And that was that was some problems. But, you know, after, you know, we like a, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, you know, there we had multiple players and Saban talk about how disappointed they were in the second half effort and the second half energy. I don't think that's going to be a problem this week. I think A&M scores about 14. I think Alabama scores about 34, 35. Um, I know the, like the line right now is Alabama minus 17. Um, but you know, Mond in order for Texas A&M to win, Kellen Mond has to be really solid. He has to be much better than he showed in the first week. The entirety of the Texas A&M offense has to be much better and show why they were there was so much hype around them in the preseason. You know, Alabama. I think Alabama has the better running game. I think they have the better passing game if Kellen Mond um, can't perform or does perform like he did against um, this past weekend. But I think a lot of the questions rely when it comes to Mond. I think a lot of the questions surround um, the Alabama secondary, which they struggled in in Week One against Missouri. But overall, I think Alabama is going to handle this in Bryant Denny Stadium. You know, I'll give my pick later on on Friday's episode. Um, but I, I do think, you know, Alabama's defense continues to show why um, they're going to be one of the top units in the country. I, I do think um, there's there's a chance they have a really great strong showing. It's the first home game back in Tuscaloosa, so it's going to be a little weird, right? Like the, 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 the limited fans, it's going to be strange not seeing the quad packed out on game day for tailgating. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that atmosphere. And what that's going to be like, because these guys are, are going to have to bring their own energy. No, you know, we had some players talk about that today. You know, we had um, Jordan Battle and Najee Harris talk about it, you know, how different the atmosphere was um, regarding a typical year, as far, you know, as far as atmosphere in Missouri. It's going to be a really interesting year. You know, we knew that going into it. Um, it's going to be fun to see, you know, what Bryant City Stadium can pull this weekend. You know, it takes it. Uh, sorry, I keep getting Texas A&M and Missouri messed up because we talked about it so much earlier. <laughs> um, in Missouri, you know, there was eleven thousand, I think, seven hundred thirty-eight fans in attendance. At Brian E. Same, there's going to be a little bit more. Um, and but you know, but and it's a bowl, so it'll probably be a little louder because the sound will reverberate a little better. So it might feel like there's more fans in attendance. Um, but no, the game day atmosphere is what I'm looking forward to most this weekend when you and I head over there. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see. You know, there's there's no pregame stuff. There's no uh, walk champions, at least in a traditional sense. Um, there's no tailgating outside the stadium. But you know, it'll be fun once we get inside that bowl to see what's going on. It's gonna be fun, Joey, and we're all gonna have you guys covered on BamaCentral.com all day Saturday, all day. I mean, all all the weekend. Um, you know, especially at the game, after the game analysis. 
you know, information, everything you want will be on the site. But thanks again, Joy, for hopping on here. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And I'm just glad, you know, even after the debates, we have SEC football forward, uh, SEC football to look forward to um, this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully SEC football will be a lot prettier to watch than the debate was tonight. <laughs> for sure. For Joey Blackwell, I'm Tyler Martin. This has been the All Things Bama Podcast. <laughs>